you have selected have been released? The line has stopped moving. The website fully crashed. Ah! As a super fan. It was a letdown and it frustrates me with the system. You have the world's largest concert promoter that owns the world's largest ticketing company. And this same company owns and operates venues. Does any part of you blame Taylor? You can't look at Taylor and say that she's just the artist. She doesn't have control. She's Taylor the corporation. After COVID, it exploded. The value of stuff went up like 40, 50%. Back in the day, maybe being a nerd was a very niche thing. It's pretty much mainstream now. That one goes for about $8,000. Then this one right here is a Chrome Nintendo 64. I was offered close to $20,000. Wow. What do you get when a global superstar announces her first tour in years? Apparently, a total catastrophe. Now Swifties and Senators alike are looking into how this actually happened. And what does this say about our ticketing industry? Let's break it down. <gasps> first, there was the anticipation. But when the queue opened up to finally buy tickets for Taylor Swift's upcoming stadium tour, her fans, the Swifties, went from freaking out Taylor Swift ticket update. I got him. Are you joking? What? It's melting down. The tickets you have selected have been released. The line has stopped moving. The website fully crashed. I waited in line for like six hours. All of that chaos was triggered by Taylor Swift's November 1st announcement. It's Taylor. I wanted to tell you something that I've been so excited about for a really long time, have been planning for ages, and I finally get to tell you, I'm going back on tour. Her big news came just days after she dropped her record-breaking album, Midnights, which filled all top 10 spots on the Billboard charts with inescapable hits like Antihero. It's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. This will be the first time Taylor's hit the road since her 2018 Reputation Stadium Tour. Featured in the Netflix movie of the same name. People are really just hungry to see Taylor Swift perform live. This is really unprecedented. Taylor Swift is playing 52 stadium shows across the country. There's no other artist right now at this moment in time that can do that. Her fans are incredibly devoted. They're incredibly passionate, and that is to her credit. When she says she cares about her fans, we're talking about an artist who literally has baked them cookies. People have not been able to see the artists that they've wanted to see perform because of the pandemic. Major artists are now announcing tours. People have to figure this out and get it together. Clamoring for concerts is real. Artists like Meporto Bonito performer Bad Bunny also broke all sorts of records for his world's hottest tour. There was massive pent-up demand to go to the dog show after the pandemic. We wanted to get out of the house. If there was a puppet show down the block, I don't care if they played guitars or not. I wanted to go see something in the company of other people. 
but the Swifties took it to a whole other level of demand. Now, it's not unusual for big shows to sell out fast in big cities. So we reached out to some Taylor superfans across the country to see how they fared getting those golden tickets. I've heard you've been described as the <laughs> voice of Swift Talk. Oh, I don't, I don't know about that, but that's very flattering. In the world of Swift Talk, that's Taylor Swift fans' corner of TikTok. Steven Sullivan is a big deal. Five seconds into Taylor Swift's announcement. Steven started posting Taylor Swift content on TikTok in August 2020. Now he's got over 150,000 followers watching him rank Taylor albums, perform lip syncs, and host listening parties with fans. Just kind of sit, take it in, and then after each song I give like initial thoughts, reactions. There's one song, uh, You're On Your Own Kid, that kind of goes through the journey of her career mm -hmm. to who she is today. Just to learn that my dreams are rare. You're on your own, kid. You always have been. And I just was like, okay. Just in case anyone missed it, she just summed up her entire career in three minutes, guys. Did we, we caught that, right? Like, let's talk about it. But that clout didn't seem to matter when it came time to buy tickets from Ticketmaster. It's got a feature for big concerts like this called Verified Fan that's supposed to weed out the bots from the real fans. The way Ticketmaster works with their verified fan system, you give them your information and then you're put into a pool. And if you're lucky, you get selected to get a access code for ticket sales. I did not get selected for a code. While I appreciate people asking if I have received a pre-sale code yet, the answer is no. If I do slash when I do, hopefully you'll know, but right now inbox is empty and tear ducts are full. As a super fan. It was a letdown. Um, it was, and it frustrates me with the system because if you're going to call it verified fan, verify fans. So how'd you actually manage to get your hands on them? I had probably 30 to 40 people reach out to me directly and offer to buy me tickets, offer to give me an extra code that they had. These are people from the Swift Talk yes. community. Okay. Yeah. Steven was able to get a code from one of those fans. But it didn't make the ticket buying experience any easier. After spending nearly a whole day online, he was able to score a ticket. I am the luckiest duck in the whole pond. So I have the ticket that the day from hell allowed me to buy. I got very lucky. Tickets were originally listed from 49 to $449. Steven dropped 500 bucks on his. The next day I woke up and I was like, okay, hang on. That was a whole day of my life that I wasted to celebrate that I got one ticket, that I had to pay $50 in service fees. Like, what? I wanna talk about my experience buying tickets for Taylor's tour yesterday. I felt guilty about how many people were coming to me and asking me for advice on buying tickets. And I was doing my best, but I've never bought tickets for Taylor before. Mm -hmm. So I was like, look, I, I know I'm a source for you usually, but I've got nothing to offer here. I'm so upset right now because I was in line for Taylor Swift tickets. As more fans lost out on tickets, they started looking for someone or something to blame. This was a terrible experience. I'm really disappointed. The funniest thing is Ticketmaster gaslighting us being like, we had no clue this many people would be buying tickets. And a lot of them looked at Ticketmaster. All of these things were preventable. 
So one of the biggest frustrations about this ticket sale is Taylor Swift fans were led to believe that they specifically had multiple avenues to be able to secure tickets to the tour. So we're right outside Columbus, Ohio right now to link up with superfan Nicole Hallberg, who says she checked all those boxes. So let's see if she was able to get tickets. So I'm looking at your desk over here and it looks a bit more like a Taylor Shrine than a desk. I would say that is correct. I mean, we have everything, even water bottles. I'm seeing a frame from the Reputation Tour. That was actually the first time you saw Taylor live, right? Yeah, I mean, it was such a great part of my life. It was such a great thing that I had never been to a concert like that before. How long have you actually been a fan of Taylor? Um, forever. It wasn't until Teardrops on My Guitar came out mm -hmm. that I saw the music video and it it was, I was just in love with her. He's a reason for the teardrops on my guitar. Reputation tour was the first time I was able to ever actually like afford to go myself. I worked very hard to get floor seats. Being that close to her and seeing her loving being there as much as you do, like that's such a powerful experience. Take me to day one of the pre-sale day. Yeah. Did you even get a code? Yeah, so I did, I did get a code. So what went wrong? Everything. Mine crashed immediately. <sighs> Trying hard to keep my morale high. And then it finally pops up and loads and it does the, you know, there's 2000 plus people in front of you. What's going through your head at this point? I'm kind of panicked. It's 1130 and my line hasn't moved in an hour. Unlike Steven, Nicole wasn't able to get a ticket during the fan presale, but she had a Capital One credit card, which let her get into another special presale just one day later. I started with Time Zone. So um, I started with the Cincinnati show, couldn't get any tickets. Mm -hmm. And then I just moved towards the West Coast as each room opened and each room closed. I tried Arizona, I tried LA, I tried Seattle, I tried Chicago. I mean, I must have went to probably eight different cities. And then Ticketmaster canceled the general sale, Nicole's last chance at tickets, due to, quote, insufficient remaining ticket inventory. It was just gone. Mm. Like, a, and that was a very hard reality to, to accept. When you heard they canceled the general sale? Oh, I was furious. I think this broke a trust because it broke not just a trust between Ticketmaster and her, it, it hurt a lot of her fans. Does any part of you blame Taylor? You can't look at Taylor and, and say that she's just the artist, she doesn't have control. She is Taylor the businesswoman, she's Taylor the corporation. Days following the incident, Taylor put out a statement on her Instagram story, never naming Ticketmaster, but writing in part, I'm not going to make excuses for anyone because we asked them multiple times if they could handle this kind of demand, and we were assured they could. Adding in reference to her fans, it really pisses me off that a lot of them feel like they went through several bear attacks to get them. Representatives for Ticketmaster, though, said there was just no way to prepare for all these buyers. On CNBC's Squawk on the Street, 
The CEO of Liberty Media, a majority stakeholder in Ticketmaster, said, All the Live Nation team is sympathetic that the long wait times and fans who couldn't get what they wanted. The site was supposed to be opened up for 1.5 million verified Taylor Swift fans. Uh, we had 14 million people hit the site, including bots. We could have filled 900 stadiums. I can never recall an instance in which the ticket demand for a pre-sale was so overwhelming, such that a general sale was canceled. That has never happened. Two weeks after tickets went on sale, we still don't have any idea how many are left. I think the, the one person that's responsible is Taylor Swift for being so popular. Because people have this personal connection with Taylor and because individuals who want to resell the tickets to the people who want to go out to the shows, that's why we have this particular problem. Ticketmaster does have a tool to try to slow down the ticket resale market called dynamic pricing. The idea behind dynamic pricing is to match the real market value of the tickets. So if a particular artist is exceptionally popular, the tickets are priced a little bit higher right away because there's an algorithm that recognizes that tickets that might otherwise cost, let's say, $100 could theoretically be sold on the secondary market for $1,000 or maybe two or three times that. So dynamic pricing allows the artist to capture this revenue herself rather than simply see someone who's sitting in front of a computer, has nothing to do with the show, contributes nothing artistically, make that profit by buying the ticket and then reselling it. There's been speculation that Taylor was using dynamic pricing this tour, but for the first time, her team is speaking out. A spokesperson told Impact exclusively that, quote, Taylor chose not to use and will not use dynamic or platinum pricing on Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour. But other major artists have used it, infuriating some fans. But the thing is, average musicians, ones that aren't multimillionaires, aren't making a ton of money off the road anymore. And the live music business is where most artists make most of their money. The internet brought the price of recorded music down to about zero. The majority of artists, they make most of their money on the road. This is far from the first time Ticketmaster has landed in hot water. I swear to tell the truth, nothing but the truth to help me God. Let the record Way back in 1994, they were actually called in front of a congressional committee to defend themselves against accusations that they were operating as a monopoly, which they denied. This hearing follows a legal brief filed by Pearl Jam, a Seattle, Washington-based alternative rock band. That's Stone Gossard and Jeff Amon, two members of Pearl Jam. <laughs> At the time, they were in one of the biggest bands in the world. Their album Verses hit number one on the Billboard charts the year before, with hit singles like Alive. Tickets to a Pearl Jam show in 1994 were priced at $18. Pearl Jam wanted Ticketmaster to agree to a 10% fee, no more. But that bumped up against deals that Ticketmaster had with big stadiums around the country, promising the venues cuts of their fees. Ticketmaster said, well, we can't do that. And therefore, Pearl Jam boycotted Ticketmaster. 
Finding venues that didn't have Ticketmaster partnerships was such a hassle, though, that they didn't continue touring. After that, the Justice Department reached out and asked if they'd like to testify against the company. It just didn't, doesn't seem fair to us the way a lot of things are done in the music industry. I think the record shows that we've always been concerned with you know, keeping ticket prices low. But for all this pomp and circumstance, the Justice Department ended up closing the investigation without any charges. What we found out is that the artist there could take a stand but didn't have the power to change the system. Devastating blow to Pearl Jam and its fans. The next year, Pearl Jam tried to do a tour without Ticketmaster venues. But when the venues couldn't handle such a popular band, it didn't go great. MTV covered this situation. On Sunday, Pearl Jam suddenly canceled the remaining 10 shows of its 15-date 12-city tour because of, quote, continued controversies associated with attempting to schedule and perform at alternate venues. In other words, the difficulty of finding arenas which are not in business with Ticketmaster has become more trouble than it's worth. The thing is, since 1995, Ticketmaster has only gotten more powerful, especially after a 2010 merger with mega promoter Live Nation. It's another summer of complaints about concert tickets. The recent merger of Ticketmaster and Live Nation was supposed to result in easier-to-find tickets. At least that's what the companies told the FTC. According to Yale School of Management, Ticketmaster currently controls over 70% of the market for ticketing and live events. You have the world's largest concert promoter that owns the world's largest ticketing company that also has a management group with about 100 managers and 450 of the world's best-known and most talented artists, and this same company owns and operates venues. To a lot of people, this looks very much like uh, a vertical monopoly. The New York Times is reporting that the Justice Department is actually already looking into the company. They've been asking around for months about whether Ticketmaster engages in monopolistic practices. And they're not the only ones. Senator Amy Klobuchar went on MSNBC to talk about her plans. I talked to Senator Mike Lee last night. We chair the committee on antitrust. We are going to go ahead with a hearing on Ticketmaster um, this year. Ticketmaster's parent company, Live Nation, defended itself in a November 19th statement, saying, Live Nation takes its responsibilities under the antitrust laws seriously and does not engage in behaviors that would require it to alter fundamental business practices. They also said it has a significant share of the primary ticketing services market because of the large gap that exists between the quality of the Ticketmaster system and the next best primary ticketing system. That Ticketmaster continues to be the leader in such an environment is a testament to the platform and those who operate it, not to any anti-competitive business practices. You can't call this the straw that broke the camel's back because the camel was broken. What happened is all of a sudden a bunch of kids saw the camel in pain. And <laughs> that's not good. What I do know is Ticketmaster or whomever else has to figure out how to solve this before Beyonce announces her tour. Because if you think the Swifties are bad, the Beehive, you don't want to mess with the Beehive. And for those lucky Swifties with the golden ticket? God, the next seven months can't fly fast enough. This week was a nightmare so that we can get to the daydream at the end. It's crazy to think how video games were talked about when we were kids. A trend, a fad. Well, the gaming generation is getting the last laugh. 
We traveled up and down the East Coast to find out more about today's obsession with nostalgia and learn about the new communities being built on loving our old stuff. Here in Maryland, things are quiet in the seemingly unassuming suburban neighborhood. Hello, hello. Brandy, right? Yes. Ashen. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Yes, come on in. My game room is your game room. <laughs> <laughs> is there any way I could see that basement? Of course. It literally looks like a shoe closet, and it is not a shoe closet. Holy. This is what I remember GameStop looking like back in the day. They wish they had this. There's more. Oh my yep, God. Yep, it's not even just this. Holy crap, man. Even the shower, wow. Literally all kinds of boxes <laughs> and displays. Brady, what is your electricity bill like? <laughs> so it's not that bad. This is like a real arcade, man. Brandy Amer grew up around these now retro arcades and games as a kid. There's something about these older systems this kind of like outdated in a way graphics, these outdated games, but it's like those memories of a simpler time, you know, your childhood, it was easy. Nostalgia is having a moment with millennials and Gen Z using social media to refuel pastime obsessions for My best lie to Kendrick Hall. Vintage fashion. Here is my complete sour collection. Vinyl and the indie pink. And even their favorite childhood snacks. All right, y'all, as requested, I'm going to try cake cuisine um, at my big age. Yeah. I like to come down here because this is kind of my little escape here. Outside of this basement, These Gamer Amor's day job is no joke. She's an officer for Baltimore County Police Department. Being a police officer, you know, you do see a lot out there so kind of dealing with that every day it's nice to have something that you know kind of brings you joy in your off time her collection is part of a growing trend that took off during the pandemic retromania has taken over with people obsessing over both refurbished and mint condition memories but it can get pricey a sealed first generation iphone sold for nearly forty thousand dollars recently at an auction more than 65 times its original price of $599. And industry-wide, the value for the GameCube increased 70%. The Nintendo 64 increased 43% in just a year span. That means that old Nintendo 64 in your closet could sell for anywhere between 40 bucks to thousands of dollars. I went dumpster diving quite a few times to get some of these. Some of these I've bought secondhand on, you know, Facebook Marketplace, literally anywhere and everywhere, thrift stores, yard sales, flea markets. Randy's finds are sometimes gold mines, like this rare red N64 controller from Korea. That one goes for about $8,000. That's what I was offered, but I paid $12.50 for it. I found it in a video game store. And then this one right here is a Chrome Nintendo 64. Oh my god. It gosh. has different colors. There's only yeah. 10 of these in the world. 10 of these in the world. And I was offered close to $20,000. So Do you this think is... about selling when it comes to that type of a price tag? It's priceless. Priceless memories that many can relate to. So we followed Brandy to Syracuse, New York. 
So we're here at Retro Game Con. It's one of the largest retro gaming conventions in the country. And I'm feeling like a kid again. That's a nostalgic feel. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that you never want to lose. Over a hundred gaming systems. From a replica of one of the first video games ever made in 1958, called Tennis for Two, to Nintendo's Duck Hunt. There's even pinball machines. It's not just for one specific niche group. Back in the day, maybe being a nerd, maybe being a geek, was a very niche thing. Now, especially because of comic books and Marvel movies and stuff, it's pretty much mainstream now. But now, even younger players are entering the market. I have a Switch and a PS4, but I still come back to like Game Boy Advance, NES games. What is it about them, man? The graphics definitely have like a nostalgia factor, and I think they're really nice. Right now I have a Super Nintendo, which is my baby. I love the Super Nintendo. Just playing Mario, it's that sense of everything kind of fades away, and I can just fade into Mario stomping on the next Goomba. You fall into the world. You fall into the world, and somehow something, nothing else matters. Capitalizing on this market, two online retro game retailers, DK Oldies in Morgantown, Pennsylvania, and The Game Island in Miami, Florida. Have you noticed retro gaming is becoming more and yes. more popular? Yes, after COVID, it just, it, it exploded. You saw a huge, huge, huge spike in the market. Even and and, and the, the you know the value of stuff went up like 50 percent, mm -hmm. upwards to like two, three hundred percent on certain wow. items. Yeah. Nick Patelli booted up the game island right before the pandemic, with his brother Alex and his childhood best friend Ben. We get a lot of stuff from Japan. You know, we import these consoles. Some of them are broken. We're importing them for parts. Some of them we're able to fix. Some of them, unfortunately, we're not. That's that's kind of the cool aspect of the business. You know, you're giving this stuff a, another life. And this stuff is available in a, in abundance in Japan, right? right. That's, that's where it's from. And they wholesale, uh, you know, by the thousand. Some of they're these wholesaling, wholesaling Nintendos. Yep, they're wholesaling. Nintendo 64s, they're wholesaling GameCubes. In 2022? In 2022, and it's super popular, and there's, pe there's people uh, importing them by the thousands. One customer that is here almost weekly, 10-year-old Benjamin. I really wanted these video games because you don't need Wi-Fi. You don't need Wi-Fi? Yeah, okay, that's, that's the, the main big, thing. That's the big trick. Okay, yeah. that's really interesting. This retro resurgence even fueling popular shows on television, like Stranger Things. To slay the dragon, use the magic sword. This is your, your baby, this is the Sega Genesis. This is my, my home. This is your home. And bringing together gamers like Ninja and celebrities like The Tonight Show's Jimmy Fallon. I think there's a stigma like, oh, you're like the people who shop or, or, or go to like a video game store, they're super nerdy. No, it's not like that anymore. Rappers come here. Artists come here. Everybody's into this stuff because this is the stuff they grew up on. Make it cool. Make it a place that everybody comes to. About a thousand miles away from downtown Miami in much quieter Morgantown, Pennsylvania, there's DK Oldies, who caught onto the retro thing pretty early when they got started in 2003. 
Whoa, you just got one of the best combos in retro gaming. Now, they're one of the largest online retailers for retro games, with millions of followers on TikTok. That's Joey, their social media secret weapon. He showed us around the warehouse, and we saw the team's entire process. We get about 300 emails a day. What are people usually looking to sell? Is it like their old collections? Primarily old collections. So that's, I mean, that looks like at least 50 games, right? Oh, hundreds. Yeah, um, like in one email. Yeah, and I've seen, I've seen larger emails than that. If they get lucky, sometimes a collection just walks right in. You're here every week, you said. Every week. And it's not usually like one or two video games. You said it's a bin? A bin. <laughs> Morgantown local Marnie Regal's husband is a huge retro game enthusiast. He had that for a while. I know some of these he had, especially Zelda. Uh -huh. So he's got multiple generations and multiple different types of systems. Game Boy Advances. Yeah, he had a Pokemon one, but he won't get rid of that one. Once a collection arrives, they unbox and assess. An original NES system. If the condition of all this stuff was good, I'd say this be around $1,000 worth of stuff. After that, it goes to the cleaning station. Oh, it looks as good as new. Wow, that's pretty amazing. A lot of the stuff that we sell is over 30 years old, so you can imagine it needs a thorough cleaning. Then, if needed, repairs like a Game Boy that needs a new screen. And finally, it's listed online. This process a long way from how it started back in 2003, when founder Drew Steimel was working out of his home. I lived in a townhouse and it was it started the upstairs bedroom. I just took that over. It was one desk, it was one shelf, and I would buy collections, fill that shelf, and then sell through that shelf, and then do it again. Mm -hmm. And I would say very quickly it moved down to the basement. I remember I hired my dad. He was retired at the time. I'm like, hey dad, I need some help. Like, come on over. Nearly 20 years later, he's built a business with over a hundred employees and multiple warehouses. I would say from 2006 to 2000, every three or four years, we kind of doubled our space. We moved to here uh, around 2016. And 2016 was a weird time because uh, the Nintendo Classic came out. That really hurt us for a while. It really changed things because people could buy all those games and Nintendo was making it and it was a great system. And then 2018, they discontinued them and it actually brought in the younger generation, which we never had before. It was always that 30 to 40 year old market. And then like our business just went crazy after they discontinued that. And uh, we've been riding that wave ever since. It's a wave that'll keep crashing too. While trends become uncool and styles go out of fashion, the stuff we love is always gonna get old. But maybe that isn't such a bad thing because nostalgia never dies. Got this control for you. Thank you. You never actually played this before. No. No? No matter your age. All right, Benjamin, you're going down. Oh no, banana peel. All right, I'm in first now, Benjamin. You're not getting it back, buddy. I will. You are not getting it back, buddy. Yes, I am. Not a chance. Yes, I am. Dude, you kicked my butt. Nice job.